Welcome to the third episode of Earweek Serials. I'm your host, Tyler McNamara, and for the next 36 episodes of Season 1, I'll be reading from my book, The Mother of Dark Space. Previously on The Mother of Dark Space. The vitamin D lights in her cramped bunk room were supposed to help with depression. They weren't working. It had been 51 hours since she finished testing the last batch of ice core samples, and there was nothing left for her to do. In the future, don't buy stims from anyone but me. The stims and the crash pads work as a team. The white pill brings you up, and the red pill slows your fall. Is it traceable? I start working at Kander and Jensen at the end of the summer. Kander and Jensen was still the biggest research and development company in the Dome, but from the presentation it was clear that Evermore was looking to challenge that. The 12-story dome scraper had a neo-organic style. The building itself seemed to be growing phototropically from the downtown district. To Ray, the building's design proved that Evermore, the man, was still able to push the leading edge of scientific innovation. The application was an accident. Dr. Evermore does not even remember you. Taking a short trip around the oppressively small room, Ray looked around and realized that her world was only getting smaller. This time at Casma Australia is the requirement every good scientist has to put in. This room is the possibility that things will all come together, the promise that someday I'll have the freedom and the funding to create something meaningful. Fuck the possibilities. I need to get out of this fucking coffin. Ray slowly folded the pill back into its foil and set it on the floor beside the leg of her bed. Lifting the bed, she slammed it down on the foil, crushing the pill. Ray licked her finger and dabbed at the powder until it was all stuck to her finger, then rubbed it on her gums. It tasted awful, but the unpleasantness somehow helped her feel better about taking it. Ray shook Dorian's hand and found her grip to be twice what he was offering. I know that limp handshake. That's the, I'm trying to be fuckable, feel how sensitive I am, handshake. It's as if there's only one person up here and everyone else is just a clone of the same asshole. She barely committed to the smile she gave as she said, Dr. Ray Dahlia, what are you playing? Hearts? She pulled out her Omni and looked at the screen. Rockwell looked over her shoulder. Evermore Industries? Why is Evermore Industries calling you? I should answer right now and tell them I filled out the application as a joke. Manfield stood and leaned over the table. That's a good question, Dahlia. Why is our competition calling you? I... I don't know. Somewhere was the feeling that she should be scared, but it felt like someone else's concern. She was merely confused. Manfield gave Ray a look that should have moved her finger to disconnect the call. What if they're calling to save me from this god-awful place? I better see what they want, she said, and walked back to her room. And now for Chapter 2. Reagents. Ray. As she brusquely walked down the corridor to her room, Ray extended her omni and tapped the screen with her thumb. The home screen was replaced by the caller's video. It wasn't Evermore. The young man looking out had green eyes and mousy brown hair that fell into his eyes as soon as he began to speak. He looked a few years younger than she and wore an Evermore Industries ID tag that said, Ashley Rafariel. Hello? she asked. Dr. Rachel Dahlia? She entered her bunk room and closed the door behind her. Yes? What can I do for you, Mr. Rafariel? He cleared his throat. Ashley's fine. I'm calling on behalf of Evermore Industries. We've reviewed your application, and you've made it to the first round of interviews. Is there a time when you would be available for a workforce compatibility survey? Her heartbeat was thumping uncomfortably hard in her chest. I'm high, she thought. This is a bad time to be tested. Yet her voice said, Ashley, I'm at the Martian South Pole in Casma, Australia, waiting for a storm to break. There's nothing to do, and it's likely to continue like this for days. You called at the perfect time. Something she said caught him off guard. Oh, you want to take it now? I... I can't promise it will be entertaining. You can reschedule this call for any time you want. 
Ray recognized the thought as her own, but it sounded more like her nagging mother. She almost told it off, but when she focused on it, its logic came flooding into her awareness. This wasn't part of the plan. Kander and Jensen Labs was her home. They had taken her in when she was a wet newborn. They had invested in her, believed in her, and Evermore was a has-been. He hit his big idea, made his billions, and fell away like dead skin shed by the society he had saved. The nagging voice told her she should be concerned, that her career was on the line, that saying yes to Evermore would be the career equivalent of dousing herself in gasoline and taking up smoking. Ashley cocked his head and raised an eyebrow. Is everything all right? No, nothing at all. I mean, sorry, I thought you asked if there was anything wrong. Yes, everything's all right. Except that I'm almost tearing out my own hair in boredom, my boss is a condescending pig, and my co-workers look at me like I'm a sex toy. You're sure? Ashley's brow furrowed as he scrutinized her. I'm just nervous is all. You've caught me off guard, Ray said, but as soon as she did, she realized that the look on Ashley's face wasn't scrutiny. It was empathy. And she wasn't nervous. She was excited. And she couldn't even remember why she was supposed to be concerned when the only thing she could smell was the intoxicating scent of freedom and the opportunity to create something meaningful and beautiful. Well, don't be. I'm sure you'll do fine, he said. They sat there for a moment, both waiting for the other, until Ashley said, Let's begin, then. His eyes looked off-screen to what she assumed was his script. According to the International Employee Database, this would be the first time you've held a position with this kind of responsibility. That's true, she nodded. He clearly expected her to say more, but when she didn't, he looked off-screen again and read, Your experience is one of the factors we compare against other applicants. However, the doc... He stopped himself. I, I mean, Evermore Industries recognizes that all of its employees are individuals, and character and personality factor strongly into the hiring process. This first section is a personality evaluation so I can gauge if we would be a good fit for each other. I'm sure we'd be a good fit, she said. She had intended to flatten her tone to keep it ambiguous as to which we she was talking about, but she was out of practice. This was the first time she'd allowed herself to get flirtatious since she'd arrived on Mars. Ashley did his best to ignore the comment and turn bright red in the process. Dr. Evermore tries to avoid drama in his labs by organizing teams with complementing character traits. Would you classify yourself as more routinized or whimsical? The questions and answers continued back and forth for several minutes. Ashley read directly from his script, oblivious to Ray's wandering attention. She did her best to behave herself, but with his script between them she felt disconnected from Ashley. Her interest started to drift. In the back of her mind, the part of her that didn't think she looked good on paper tried to convince a more conventional part that they needed to go off script. He called Evermore Doc. They're close. Get Ashley and you'll get the job. This question seemed familiar to Ashley, and he looked up from the sheet. When you finish a job, their eyes connected. Ray interrupted him. How many of these questions are there? 72. Are you more likely to move on to new things or tie up loose ends? Ray said, When I finish a job, there aren't loose ends. But couldn't I fill this out online? That way we could talk now, I could fill out the form later, and you can ogle my colorful spreadsheet on your own time. Ashley pretended to cough and hit a boyish grin behind his fist. Dr. Dahlia, this video session is being recorded. Ray felt incredibly foolish and sat up straighter. Ah, I see. The test is a test. Continue. He seemed relieved at her willingness to cooperate. Who do you look up to and... Wait a minute, you never told me this call was being recorded. That's illegal. No, it's not. It's a courtesy, and I did tell you. It's the first thing I'm supposed to say. He looked over his notes off-screen and suddenly his eyes widened. 
I'm right. You didn't tell me. You can't use any of this. Ashley seemed totally derailed. She let him flounder there for a moment before saying, Ashley, I'm just messing with you. He smiled, and Ray felt a warmth of attraction melt and run down her body. He composed himself. Just for good measure, we should start back at the beginning. Dr. Rachel Dahlia, this call is being recorded for storage and review purposes. According to the International Employee Database, this would be the first time... She interrupted him again. Is this you teasing me now? You'll have to be less obtuse if you want to catch me off guard. Obtuse? You're the one who just turned the conversation 180. She gave him a courteous smile. Just for the record, I was only asking about doing it online to save you some time. I like that you're reading the test to me. The question, who do I look up to? Um, Victoria Krellinger. I, he started, but she kept going. When I was a little girl, I knew I wanted to be a scientist the moment I saw Dr. Krellinger's face on the cover of every magazine. I remember one that called her the smartest person alive. My ninth birthday was coming up, so I shopped around for a beginner science kit, but when I showed it to Deborah, my mom, and told her I wanted to be a scientist, I don't remember her exact words, but basically she said I wasn't smart enough. Ashley sat there with his mouth open, not with the surprised O-face, but as if he were forming a word and had paused. He looked back and forth between the screen and questionnaire. He seemed to choose human connection over doing his job, and the word was allowed to fully form. Ouch. Too easy, she thought. Yeah, well, that's Deborah for you. After that, I really started tearing through books and magazines on anything science I could get my hands on. All my girlfriends at the time were talking about the latest teen romance, but all I could think about was Emilie du Châtelet. Who? She was an 18th century French mathematician and physicist, she was talking about infrared light before William Herschel, its supposed discoverer, was even born. I had a picture of her on the background of my Omni for the longest time. Ashley lit up, and two dimples sunk into his face. My Omni backgrounds were a series of classic movie posters from before the turn. Ever heard of Back to the Future? No, she smiled, and restrained herself from calling him a nerd. I don't really go to movie parlors. You're missing out. There's nothing better than that moment you awaken out of a 40 movie and you, your friends, and the whole parlor just explodes with everybody talking about their different versions. Ray considered something. Actually, I take it back. Victoria Krellinger and Andrea Stanson are both tied for first as my most influential heroine. Oh. I thought you were taking back the... Never mind. Why Andrea Stanson? She was the first woman to set foot on Mars. On top of that, she's smart and beautiful and globally respected. Thanks for bringing it back. I guess we got a little off track there, and not that this hasn't been useful. For Evermore Industries, she added, grinning. Right, he blushed again, and busied himself with something on his workstation she couldn't see. Dr. Dahlia, this call is no longer being recorded. But what about the compatibility test? I'm more concerned about what my boss will think of me for letting you get so far off topic. But I want to hear more about what you want to share. Tell you what, you tell me anything you like, and I'll just plug in the answers as if I asked you the questions. Ray said, you think I just want to blab on about myself? I'm bored, not shallow. He winced. I didn't mean it like that. Do you have any hobbies? Besides my addiction to Hikaru? Hikaru? You're not just saying that because the doc, Tor, Evermore, had a hand in its creation. Absolutely not. Check my scoreboard. I actually received the most efficient design achievement, twice. Ashley said, Sorry, I didn't mean to. Whatever. Hikaru is hardly a hobby, though. I'm also a painter, although I haven't painted in years. Really, an artist and a scientist. Which came first? Both? I'm actually a terrible painter. I was far more interested in the psychology of observation. Say you've got a bunch of colors spread across a two-dimensional field. 
In certain shape-color combinations, it means nothing to some people, but to others, even if they're still non-recognizable shapes, something entirely abstract can evoke meaning. Even my painting was scientific. Each piece was a hypothesis. Hmm, Ashley nodded, as if considering something he'd heard before. Victoria Krellinger was a painter, too. Ray had almost entirely forgotten Ashley was there. And when he spoke up, she realized that she had been talking to her reflection in the smaller window in the lower right of her workstation. It had been years since she thought of any of this. I've been so focused on the future, I've forgotten why I chose to be a scientist in the first place. I knew it had something to do with Krellinger. But it was her art, her freedom of expression that attracted me, not her fame. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider following me on Twitter at Tyler R. McNamara. That's M-C-N-A-M-A-R-A. And using the hashtag M-O-D-S-Book. You can learn more about the book project at earweekpublishing.com or on Facebook at Earweek Publishing. Earweek Serials is supported by you listeners. If you're enjoying this podcast, consider becoming a monthly supporter and gain access to bonus content at patreon.com slash motherofdarkspace. Or if you'd like to make a one-time donation, visit paypal.me slash earweekpublishing. Finally, I'd like to thank the artist Silent Partner for the use of their song Frequency. Now, the second half. Ray shrugged. All artists are scientists. How so? Artists must learn the science behind their medium. A potter is also a crystallographer and knows the exact temperature at which their clay will harden. An architect is also a physicist, with a complex knowledge of loads, mechanics, strengths of materials. She abandoned the thought. Art needs science, and conversely, science needs the artistic eye to discover things beyond logic and measurement. As humankind reaches deeper into the unknown, we find that it has less to do with empirical cause and effect, and more to do with probabilities which artistic intuition is far more adept at dealing with. She looked back down at her vid reflection and directly told herself, I chose to study synthetic bioengineering because it will be the medium of the next artistic renaissance. Ashley was silent for a moment, then shook his head and said, Come on! As soon as I turn off the recording, you drop the perfect soundbite. Dr. Dahlia, if the doc had heard you say that, he would have hired you on the spot. Call me Ray. And most of it was stolen from my UMARS application essay. Ray it is, he smiled. I've heard UMARS has a great synth bio department. It's amazing. What did you major in? I haven't been able to narrow it down to one thing. Recently, I've been interested in gene therapy during embryogenesis. Unfortunately, my high school grades weren't high enough for the University of Mars. Ray sighed, remembering the day she'd been accepted into the synthetic bioengineering program at UMARS. It was one of her proudest moments, to have an outside presence affirm that she was good enough, and smart enough to be accepted at one of the most competitive colleges on either Mars or Earth. Take that, Deborah. So you're pretty close with the doc, then? Ashley frowned. You're not supposed to know that. No? He said I could be easily compromised. Ouch, she said, returning the sympathy. Ashley shrugged. Well, it's true, isn't it? He told me to stick to the script. I didn't. He told me to record the conversation, but I didn't do that either. If he knew you were so easy to influence, why didn't he call me himself? I say this is his fault. She could tell he appreciated the comfort, but he didn't respond. She continued, Tell me, what is he like in person? Ashley raised an eyebrow. I thought you'd met him before. At the trial? Oh, God. I was hoping he wouldn't realize I was that Dahlia. During her junior year at the University of San Diego, Evermore was accused of biosynthesizing a human in the state of California. While synthetic transplants were perfectly legal, human cloning had been banned at the turn of the century. Evermore claimed that the ethical line had already been crossed with the countless species of bacteria, viruses, algae, and fungi that now called our planet home, 
and the only difference between having a lab filled with synthetic human tissue and an entire synthetic human was the proximity of the organs. If people thought that synthetic organisms were abominations, then no organism should be synthesized. The legal battle stretched on for months. The question that needed answering was not whether it was ethical to construct a human being. Both the religious and scientific communities agreed that it was not. But where was the line? At which point in the creation process did Evermore break the law? Ray had written an editorial piece for the student newspaper, The Daily Aztec, in which she criticized Evermore's abuse of the moratorium on embryonic gene editing. It had been opinionated and scathing and gained her quite a bit of attention around campus, both positive and negative. Somehow, the prosecution got a hold of it, saw an angle, and brought her in to testify against Evermore. Of course he remembers you, Ashley said. Why do you think he sent you the application brochure? I... I kind of assumed it went out to everyone on Mars. He shook his head. Nope. It went out to 30 people, all of whom Evermore has had some connection with. We were looking at the applications together, and he chuckled when he saw yours. Ray frowned. No, not in a bad way. There was a fondness to it. He told me the story about when you came into the courthouse and spoke on behalf of the up-and-coming generation of scientists. He knew this case would evoke clearer laws and prohibitions against biosystems engineering on humans, but that humankind still wasn't sure what it was ethically and socially comfortable with. The doc said he was using the court system as a soapbox and attempting to guide the line as close to cloning as he could, until you showed up. He says you helped him realize that he had a responsibility to something much larger than the law. So that's why he suddenly switched his plea to guilty. Ray thought back to the statement that ended the trial, but realized that Ashley hadn't answered her question. But what's Evermore like in person? You'll see for yourself when you meet him. Her heart skipped. Really? You can do that? Ashley made a show of examining some piece of paper. It's just that your evaluation looks so well-rounded. He checked to see if she was smiling. She was. I need to do a few more things here before my workday ends. What are my next steps? Given that all record of our conversation was somehow corrupted, wink wink, I'll need to build a case for you and present it to Evermore. All that's left is his okay. So, we'll talk soon? She asked. You can call back any time you like, he said. Good afternoon, Ray. She disconnected the video call, leaned back, and smiled. Closing her eyes, she imagined Ashley's dimples and his soft green eyes. Then his face was replaced by the memory of Evermore's trial. Ray made a C-shape with her hand and quickly circled it twice around her face. The gesture opened the Cloud9 search engine, and she said, Evermore's closing statement at the Synthetic Man trial. A list of possibilities appeared, and Ray recognized and selected the top choice. With gyrocopter mics swarming around Evermore's face like flies around shit, he said, Humankind has been modifying evolution for thousands of years through agriculture, animal husbandry, and genetic modification. Human biosystems engineering is no different. This was not the person of the century from the magazine covers. This was a different man. A tired, defeated man who already knew he had lost. As Ray listened to him, she ran a search for that person of the century image. There are global problems that need solving now, Evermore yelled. The expansive growth of the human race is speeding toward a brick wall, and we can't afford to let our prejudice of the unknown cut our brakes. Earth's systems are trying to correct the imbalance, but we are that imbalance. We have already broken nature's laws with our technology, but it's too late to say that tech isn't okay. If we want to escape the total annihilation that awaits us, we need to break a few more of Mother's rules. Ray found a photo from back in the 20s labeled, The Kings of Synthetic Bioengineering. Doctors Everett Evermore and his partner and best friend Clyde Kander were standing with their arms over each other's shoulders in front of the first genome printer ever built. Ray had used the latest version at UMARS to build microorganisms from raw elements. Evermore's speech continued, I concede, growing a living being is unethical, but we're running out of space down here, and there's plenty of room in space. 
The only problem is that we're not built for zero-g. This new man is. There it was, person of the century, above an article about a bioengineered class of lichen that feed on the common pollutants monoxide and sulfur dioxide, and exhale oxygen. She remembered the skyscraper lichen being spray-painted all around the city when she was young. She had always wanted to see the sprayers, but somehow never did. Suddenly the back of the billboard by the supermarket was gray-green, or one day the inside of the traffic tunnel under the canal was coated and smelled of summer rain. From the magazine cover, she imagined Evermore as an inspirational renegade, unbound by norms, conventional thought, or scientific responsibility. It was the freedom that made him powerful and exciting. Evermore made the leap from bioengineering lichen to human organs. Within a few years, Evermore biomedical systems had labs across the globe, supplying hospitals and individuals with perfect donor TM brand synthetic organs engineered from the recipient's own cells. Evermore looked straight into the camera. I believe there is no cost too high that I would not pay it to save humanity. A chill ran through her. She was afraid to work for that stop at nothing evermore. But that man had been stopped by a jury of his peers. He lost his corporate sponsorship. He was fired by the board of Evermore Biomedical Systems. All his research bonds were cashed in, and he was forced to sell his second home in California. She wondered how the fall had affected him. For the last eight years, the media had forgotten or avoided him until... Ray ran another search and was rewarded with the vid of a sparsely attended press conference outside Evermore's bungalow in Naperville, Illinois, where he announced the creation of a new company, Evermore Industries. Ray watched this third Evermore with suspicion and curiosity. He was softer than the other two, but still passionate and still free. She watched the vid again, searching for the man for whom no cost was too high, but her mind drifted off the daydreams of running her own lab, and the vid ended before she'd started paying attention. Frustrated, but also mildly amused, she tried again with the same result. There she sat, watching a freeze frame that asked, Replay? while the clouds cleared from her eyes. This must be fun, some distant part of her mind thought, because I'm grinning like an idiot. She did it again, and the sheer joy of smiling escalated into waterfalls of shimmering bliss, which cascaded down her neocortex. Looking around, her bunk room seemed too small to contain her heart, which leapt against her chest like a bird trapped on a screen porch. But she maintained enough control over her freedom-starved bones that she didn't leave her bunk room, especially once her body felt as if it were broadcasting on all frequencies on the visible light spectrum, and her thoughts became tachyons moving backwards through time. After being awake most of the night, she slept for twelve hours straight. When she awoke, that trapped bird sat docile at her feet, too exhausted to fly. Ray felt like a fool for acting so loose with Ashley, and ashamed for manipulating his male weakness. He seemed so sweet and charming, and she had taken advantage of him. Maybe I'm wrong, though. Who knows what kind of asshole he's become now that I'm sober. Maybe he deserved it. This has been Chapter 2 of The Mother of Dark Space by Tyler McNamara. Episode 3 of Earwig Serials was brought to you by American Diner. Ooh, this copy is rough. I just dumped the Mandarin into a translator in this... Well, here goes. American Diner has home time when you, 225 million kilometers. The next time you're at the Phobos Centrifuge Station awaiting your connection or from Mars, visit the American restaurant (laughs) and relive the snarling 50s with a friendly hot smile from Joe and Holly. It didn't really know what to do with a hot cup of Joe and Mr. Buddy Holly's friendly smile. Uh, Thanks so much to the American Diner for their sponsorship and if I ever make enough on Patreon to be able to visit Mars, I will be sure to drop by. Thanks to the rest of you for listening and sorry the episode was late this week. Next time.
拜。